Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, A Vision for You, Big Book Study. My name is Victoria, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, October 10th, 2012. We are reading from the big book, um, the chapter 3, More About Alcoholism, on page 42, beginning with the sentence, the, the first full paragraph, the sentence two of the members of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, the share code from yesterday's meeting, Tuesday, October 9th, is 3140. Our today's readers are Sharon, Michelle, Carol, Fran, and Judy B. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Anne-Marie to read the 12 steps. Good morning. This is Anne-Marie, Recovered Compulsive Eater. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends. I'm sorry. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him. <clears throat> praying only for knowledge for his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive eaters and practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Lois, would you please read the 12 traditions? I'd be happy to. Good morning, everyone. This is Lois. Recovered Compulsive Overeater, The Twelve Traditions, 
One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Number two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the, the, uh, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters of, of, of excuse me, affecting other groups or AA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry the message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, excuse me, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Number nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be driven into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based upon attraction rather than promotion. We, we, uh, we need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all of these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Lois. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature and stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature that we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we will resume our study of the big book, 
Chapter 3, More About Alcoholism, on page 42, beginning with the first full paragraph. I will ask Sharon to begin reading, please. Good morning, Victoria, and all of you on the line this morning. This is Sharon. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Two of the members of Alcoholics Anonymous came to see me. They grinned, which I didn't like so much, and then asked me if I thought myself alcoholic and if I were really licked this time. I had to concede both propositions. They piled on me heaps of evidence to the effect that an alcoholic mentality, such as I had exhibited in Washington, was a hopeless condition. They cited cases out of their own experience by the dozens. This process snuffed out the last flicker of conviction that I could do the job myself. And this is referring to Fred. And Fred is a man who has everything. We've been talking about him for a couple days now. And yet he had everything going for him. And yet he was an alcoholic. And um, there was no reason that he should be an alcoholic. It was just the way it was. It was the way he was made. And he start, we, we track Fred from the denial of being an alcoholic, even though he was exhibiting all of these symptoms. And the doctor was telling him that he thought perhaps uh, Fred was worse off than he thought he was. And then Fred starts to try to heal himself. And he uh, thinks first that self-knowledge and willpower will cure him, and he begins to operate on his own. And then he ends up drunk, and he drank without raising a defense at all, without exercising that willpower and self-knowledge. And so here he is defeated and and, uh, has come to realize that he has an alcoholic mind, an alcoholic mentality. And so here he sits, he, he reaches out to the other alcoholics, because at that point he realizes he's defeated. So in this paragraph we we see a lot. First of all, that they had to, before they could start working with Fred and helping him to recover, he had to accept two propositions. First, that he was an alcoholic. And second, that he was licked this time. In other words, he had to reach bottom. He had to know who he was. He was an alcoholic. I am a compulsive overeater. There's no getting around it. I I can't change it. I can't will it away. My understanding, it doesn't help the fact. Uh, it's just the way it is. And I am licked. It has me whipped, beat, and I cannot in my own strength in my own willpower, I cannot defeat this disease. It would be like me fighting against uh, diabetes, you know. It just doesn't work. And so um, the other thing that that we find in this chapter, in this uh, paragraph, is that when uh, Bill, uh, when he and his partner were talking to Fred, they gave him evidence. They talked from their experience. 
They didn't point the finger and say, you should do this. They just they just talked about their experience, their experience. And to such a point that Fred could see that he was not alone, that he was one among many, and that there was clear evidence that a person in his condition had no hope of recovering on his own, that he had an alcoholic mentality. And that's that's the, the key word, I believe, in this paragraph, the alcoholic mentality, uh, the compulsive overeating mentality. And that's what we're going to be talking about more, but that's what distinguishes us from other people. We have a compulsive overeating mentality. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Who else would like to comment on what was read? It's Edini. Good morning, Edini. Go ahead, please. Thank you, Victoria. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Edini, gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. It's really about taking step one, 100% to fully concede to our innermost being of who and what we really are. You know, it's about being honest, admitting the truth about ourselves. It's taking a good look in the mirror, looking right into our eyes, and accepting the way we are and not trying to resist nor fight nor deny. We need to embrace our disease and not fight it, because when we fight it, we are in conflict and in struggle. We are in our will, trying to control. But when we embrace our disease, then this is surrendering. It's accepting that we are compulsive overeaters. This surrender allows room for God to enter and to give us unconditional love. It is his love that will set us free from self-bondage. It is his light of the spirit that will melt our obsession away. The way we embrace our disease is through God, with his unconditional love. I could never accept the way I am. God does for me what I cannot do for myself. It is through God's power that I have accepted who and what I really am, because I realized If I reject myself, then I'm really rejecting God. And how can I do that? For he had created me and given me the breath of life and all that I have today. It is living in God's will and not my will. It's growing up into maturity. It's growing into God. This was my choice. What is your choice today? I thank you and I pass. Thank you, Edini. Who else would like to comment on what was read? This is Monica. Uh, Monica, good morning. Go ahead, please. Thank you, Victoria. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. I just love the first two sentences of this paragraph. Two of the members of Alcoholics Anonymous came to see me. They grinned. That always makes me laugh. They grinned, which I didn't like so much. And then asked me if I thought myself alcoholic and if I were really looking. 
And why are these two members of Alcoholics Anonymous grinning? You know, they're not laughing at him. They're grinning because they understand. They have been there. They're happy to see this guy. He is, you know, he's at the bottom here. And this paragraph is important on a, a, a number of different levels. But it also is given us um, in, instructions on how to 12-step a newcomer. And what do they do? They pile on him heaps of evidence. You know, we share our stories, that we have done the same crazy things, that we know we've been through it, the experience. And he said the process of them doing this, of heaping on him piles of stories of us, that they had done the same thing, you know, maybe even worse things, snuffed out the last flicker last flicker you only know, see that little flame and it's 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 just about out and it and it's trying it's still a little bit to it but the process snuffed that the out the last flicker of conviction that i could do the job by myself and that is so very very important that we have to surrender that we have to realize that our way has not worked you know, an insane mind cannot heal an insane mind. And over and over and over again, however the many hundreds of different ways we try to do this, we cannot. We need a higher power. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Who else would like to share on what was read? This is Paula, may I share? This is Susan. Yes, Paula and then Susan. Good morning. Okay. Good morning. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Rita. You know, I was looking at that, and uh, that part about they grinned. And, you know, it wasn't a grin of, well, see, we're right and you're wrong. No. Their death and now life. Their hopeless now hope. There, there they came together. And, you know, this is what happens for a sponsor when he sees what his sponsee is. Wow, they're hearing the message. You can only deliver the message. But you know that part I had to concede to both propositions, so he had to really be very clear here. They asked if I thought myself an alcoholic. The answer had to be, no, well, maybe, no, I think I might be. Oh, it looks that way. No, no. Yes. Yes. And if I was really licked this time, do you want to try another time with the same results? Again, the answer clearly, I was really licked this time, yes. But then, even after all of that, he concedes to that. Look at what they did. They didn't just give him another one. They piled on me heaps of evidence, heaps to the proposition, to the effect that I had an, an, an alcoholic mentality. That's what was playing out in, in Washington. And it was a hopeless condition. But that part, they cited cases out of their own experience by the dozen. Wait a minute. Let me tell you this one. Let me tell you that one. Go to the back of the book. There's not one story there. There's not just Dr. Bob's nightmare. There's not two. Not physician heal thyself. There's 42. One after one after one after one. Did you hear that? This process snuffed out the last flicker 
A process is a series of action which something which something develops. That's it. That's it. Something develops in that process. The last flicker of conviction that I could do the job myself. Whoa, not even a flicker. Look at what a flicker is. Last flicker of a flame. You've seen it. The last ember. No. Burns down. There is nothing left. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Susan, go ahead, please. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. This is Susan, recovering from Florida. I have to grin at this because for the last three days, I have been able to share exactly like these people shared with Fred. There are two ladies that had just come back from relapse at two different meetings, and I sat and spoke with them after the meeting because I know they, they know me a long time, and they know how devastating my life was and how miserable and near death I was. And I, I could just see myself yesterday. Yesterday at 11 o'clock, I was sitting with somebody, and I was grinning. I wasn't laughing at her. She's telling me the story, how she can do this once every two months, and she can stop. And I'm saying, okay, then keep trying it. You know, if you think you can stop, then keep trying it. And I'm thinking to myself, everything that I've done to deny the fact that I was a compulsive overeater, that I had a physical allergy and a mental obsession. And it was just probably three months ago that this, these thoughts I had, had accepted because when I, as we were reading here, I'm thinking when my brother, who was 600 pounds, died on the street about 10 years ago, I couldn't accept that I was in compulsive overeater. He was the one who brought me into the program 35 years ago. I couldn't accept the fact that I was a compulsive overeater, not to the depth that it's being explained here. And going back to the other woman that I spoke to on Saturday, I heard every excuse that I made also. I can't do this, I can't do that, and I have too much emotions, and this one died, and that one died. And oh my God, I was so full of excuses also. And I just said to her, I'm here if you need help. I'm here if you need help. And as long as I keep showing up at meetings and I keep talking about my conscious contact with the power outside of myself, I'm praying that one day these people will be able to see that my alcoholic mentality, my compulsive overeating mentality um, is what has brought me to be surrendered and brought me to be in recovery today. And I have no doubts about it. God is doing for me what I can't do for myself. Thank you. I'm past. Thank you, Susan. Mm -hmm. This is Victoria. I would like to comment on what was read. I'm a, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, this, this passage makes it so clear that an alcoholic mind is a hopeless condition, but what does that really mean when I, when I reflect on it? This is really the bottom of the bottom where we come into life with this inherent instinct to survive. We don't want to die. We don't want to be crushed or 
um, obliterated by any other force. We've got this deep instinct within us to live, to survive. And what Fred experiences here is a deep consciousness that his condition is hopeless. His ability to live is hopeless. And it's hopeless because of his mind. It was much easier for me to accept the allergy of the body than it was for me to accept my own insanity. And it wasn't just where food was concerned because that insanity threatened my life and everything in it that I valued, every relationship. And at this turning point for Fred, he faces that terrifying reality that his condition is hopeless, terminal, if you will. And he st- that, that point, um, whenever I glimpsed it when I was in active addiction, is when I would dive into the food again. Because that consciousness felt annihilating. So I dove in for more to obliterate it. Fred makes a different choice here because there are two members of Alcoholics Anonymous who are there to confirm the reality he himself confronted. He lived it. That clarity came to him and they confirmed it many times over with lots of evidence. And they were there with an answer. They were there. Had they not been there, we don't know what would have happened to Fred. If there was no answer, we've got a pretty good idea. But it was much harder for me to accept the reality that on my own, I could not survive. It was a real turning point. And would I, would I make the choice to blot it out by diving into the food again, or would I accept help? With that, I pass. Who else would like to comment on this passage? This is Tasha. Tasha, good morning. Go ahead, please. Hi, this is Tasha. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, this passage makes me think about how everybody's bottom is different. And so when I first came into uh, the rooms of OA, um, I remember telling my husband, you know, I think I have this thing. I I, I think I have this thing. And um, I'm not sure, but I don't think I'm going to be able to eat sugar anymore. And, you know, my husband said, very simple, okay, okay, you know. And um, but a couple days later there I was back back in the food again and um but after that I was able to um accept that I was a compulsive overeater so it didn't take me that long to get there I mean I never knew about LA I didn't know about the 12 steps I didn't know about this disease I mean I always knew I was crazy uh when it came to food and that I would try anything um that there was uh to lose weight and pay any amount of money that I could and what I you know I know today that the 12 steps are are the answer without a spiritual um, experience and psychic change that I can't continue to keep this recovery. And what I also notice is that when um, speaking with other um, compulsive overeaters, 
I, you know, have no control whatsoever as to when their bottom is going to be, and everybody has a different bottom. So when a sponsor tells me, okay, well, I'm going to call you on this day at this time, and, um, you know, I really want to do this. This is what I want to do. I know I'm a compulsive reader, and, you know, and they don't call, then that's okay because they're not, they're not ready. Um, however, when I, when I have someone who is ready, it is such a joy um, to be able to hear them and re-experience uh, what I've been through. And it just keeps things very, very much fresh. So thank you. I'll pass. Victoria, who else? Need to, yes. Oh. Who else would like to share on what was read? Good morning, it's Leah. Leah, and then who? I didn't make out her second name. Janice. Good morning, both of you. Leah, go ahead. Then Janice. Thanks so much. Good morning to you, Victoria. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. They grinned, which I didn't like so much, and then asked me if I thought myself alcoholic and if I were really licked this time. A few things I wanted to point out. Um, thought myself alcoholic. What exactly does that mean? I need to review my problem. Uh, with Fred here, he has an obsession of the mind that can't keep him from drinking. <laughs> and he can't drink safely because of the allergy of his body. So in Fred's case, his mind makes him start drinking, and then his body won't let him stop. So if you can't drink because of an allergy of your body, but you can't quit drinking because of your mind, then you are powerless over alcohol. Fred is a real alcoholic. He may not have lost his wife or his home or his job. That doesn't matter. That doesn't make an alcoholic. What makes an alcoholic is an allergy of the body, obsession of the mind. It goes on to say, if I thought myself alcoholic and if I were really licked this time, what is the problem? i got to know it precisely. Fred had to know it precisely. Got to be really grounded about the problem. For Fred, for me, lack of power was our dilemma. Fred might be able to function in other areas of his life very, very well. But when it came to drinking, Fred was insane. Because in the face of all other information, in the face of all his evidence and all his previous pain and suffering, he thinks picking up a drink is a great idea. And it didn't matter about the consequences. His pain had no memory. So it goes on to say here, I had to concede both propositions, both ideas, that he was alcoholic, meaning he had a twofold disease, allergy of the body, obsession of the mind, check. And if he were really licked this time, meaning powerless, Fred had to concede both ideas. Concede means to admit, to agree with, to accept, to acknowledge. Big Book has already taught us in the previous pages that we have to fully concede, fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics, or in my case, a real compulsive overeater, that that is the first step. And it goes on to this last sentence here in that paragraph. This process snuffed out the last flicker conviction that I could do the job myself, meaning that Fred was beaten into a state of reasonableness. Alcoholism had done its job because this is a disease. <laughs> the dying only need apply. 
You know what I mean? You want to recover? Be beaten into a state of reasonableness. Be beaten into a state of willingness, into a state of humility, rendered teachable. Fred's there. The, the, the disease has done its job. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Go ahead, Janice. Thank you, Victoria. Good morning, Vision, for you. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And uh, my dear friend, Leah, knocked it out of the ballpark again. You know, this is absolutely where I needed to be. It may be where Fred needed to be, but it was where I needed to be. You know, I needed to have someone in whom the problem had been solved give me heaps of evidence, heaps of evidence that, I, that they faced themselves. You know, people in whom the problem had been solved, I could relate to because they were talking my language. They were speaking my language. So their experiences with this allergy of their body and the obsession of their mind that ensured they could not stop, I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that, and I could relate and identify in. But why did I need to hear that? And why did they need to tell me? Well, I needed to hear it because I needed to concede to myself. I had to diagnose myself. I had to admit to myself that I was a compulsive overeater of this type, of this type, that I indeed had that allergy of the body, that obsession of the mind, that ensured no matter how many periods of abstinence I had, that I would pick up again. And that was never going to leave me. And so when I heard that, when someone grinned at me and told me that very thing, I became willing. And that's something we cannot give the newcomer. That is something we cannot give anyone, is that willingness. But indeed, the disease, when we're beaten, when we're beaten like I was beaten, made me willing, made me willing. When I heard this information, I could grab on as if my life depended on it to people who knew, but who also had the answer. And they could tell me, and it snuffed out the last flicker of conviction for me as well, that I could do this by myself. Self-sufficient girl that I was, I could put that idea to rest. Old ideas had to be smashed, destroyed, so new ideas could take their place. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Who else would like to share on what was read? This is Nicole. Nicole, good morning. Go ahead, please. Good morning, Victoria. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Nicole. I am a gratefully recovering compulsive overeater. I just love everybody's sharing on this paragraph already. And I just want to add one little thing. Um, Like all of you, I really have a grin in my heart as I read this. I... I smile as I read this. I grin in my heart as I read this. And I visualize what this must have looked like. I visualize poor Fred. He's crushed being there in the hospital, completely defeated. Anyone that is that is visiting him is certainly not grinning as they're coming in to see him. There might be even family that are not coming in to see him intentionally because they might be tired of him relapsing like this. 
And here come these two men grinning, which is just, it has to be the most unusual thing because they were probably, even though it annoyed him, like a, just so different that he took notice. And I just want to point out how almost opposite, um, I, I, I don't know how to say, it's almost opposite to our human nature what happened here. They were grinning as they came in to see him. And then instead of trying to pacify the situation and make him feel better, they intentionally snuff out all hope. And usually if you're seeing someone that is in a hopeless condition, you don't take away any last bit of hope that they have. So here they come grinning and here they come piling onto him a weight that is so heavy to be certain to crush him. And it is only at that time that he is able to release the burden, let it go and say, I cannot do this. And it just makes me smile because I think, wow, the power of how the truth can really set somebody free. And I'm not saying we go around calling people uh, compulsive whatever. They need to determine that themselves. But it is so powerful to really give that information that, listen, this, this is a hopeless situation. And to admit that hopelessness is the first key um, to your freedom. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Nicole. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? I'd like to share. This is Rita. Rita, go ahead, please. I mean, this really hit home um, when he, the part about them grinning. I can remember when I started back in Bradenton, Florida, in such denial. I went into the meeting, got a sponsor, and uh, thought that I, w- I lost 60 pounds. And I stood up at the meeting and said that, you know, I had, was recovered and that I didn't need it. They all had problems and I was fine. And they were smiling at me. And I said, well, goodbye. And I met up with my cousins. We went down to New York City to see Lion King. And I can remember on uh, on Sunday morning on Tavern on the Green, and I mean, I thought I just looked great. My cousins were going on. And I... um I ordered, you know, it was a buffet thing, and I must have eaten three pounds of bacon. And my cousin Debbie looked at me and said, I think you ate three pounds of bacon. I said, it's not a problem. I know what to do now. I said, come Monday, I'll just go back and do what I was doing. Well, of course, as we know, Monday came and went, came and went, and I put the 60 pounds back on, and then some. And, you know, I walked back in the meeting, after had the nerve to, and they were still smiling. And it was, I never did any steps. I never knew about the obsession of the mind or the allergy of the body. I never knew that a, a power higher than myself could relieve me of this. I just didn't know what to do, but I knew I was very sick at that point. And, uh, and I'm so grateful that I know there is a solution now and that I didn't have to, I don't have to continue to live in that hell day in and day out. And uh, thank you so much for this meeting. Uh, with that, I pass. Thank you, Rita. We will now move on to the next paragraph. Michelle, would you read, please? Thank you, Victoria. Good morning. This is Michelle, Recovered Compulsive Overeater by the Grace of God. 
Then they outlined the spiritual answer and program of action, which a hundred of them had followed successfully. Though I had been only a nominal churchman, their proposals were not intellectually hard to swallow. But the program of action, though entirely sensible, was pretty drastic. It meant I would have to throw several lifelong conceptions out of the window. That was not easy. But the moment I made up my mind to go through with the process, I had the curious feeling that my alcoholic condition was relieved, as in fact it proved to be. And um, well, this is another power-packed um, paragraph. Um, the very first sentence, um, they're talking about the solution. And they're saying, then, then they outlined the spiritual answer and program of action, which a hundred of them had followed successfully. And the then comes after um, the paragraph of talking about the last flicker of conviction that I could do the job myself. I had to be in a state of powerlessness. I had to um, know that I did not have the power. The power was not in my self-knowledge and in my own will. I had to be convinced of that before I could really hear um, hear the message that that the answer was spiritual and that I, that needed to be followed um, with the spiritual principles of action. And um, they're telling me, like the big book is telling me, that a hundred <clears throat> had followed these same um, principles, the same program of action um, with, that was based on a spiritual foundation. Um, it was outside of myself because I didn't have the power, needed a power greater than myself. And these hundred people said it worked for them, and they had been successful. Um, that certainly gets my attention because I had not been successful, trial after trial, time after time of implementing my own willpower and the self-knowledge of uh, what I thought the problem was um, until I was um, instructed by the big book. I really didn't know that the problem was in my mind and in my body, and um, and I didn't know that the answer was spiritual. I certainly thought I could find the answer within myself just with enough um, um, willpower, just um, willing myself to do it, just pulling myself up by the bootstraps. I could do this. Wasn't I successful in other areas of my life? Um, certainly I could, you know, apply the, the same grit uh, to this problem. Um, but no, I was told that um, that wasn't to be. And um, people who had recovered, who had been successful, not only in um, putting down the food, which certainly got my attention because I couldn't do that, um, but also I saw that they were successful in their living, that they truly did have a design for living, that there was peace and serenity in their life. But what got my attention in the beginning was the fact that, that they could put down the food and that um, they were telling me that they they didn't have um, any food thoughts um, after they started implementing this program and relying on a power greater than themselves. And that, um, that really did hook me. Um, but I had to be beaten down. I had to believe I was powerless. I had to know that there was not one more trick I had up my sleeve. I had to concede to my innermost self. I had to take that step one with 100%, 100% conviction. There couldn't be 1% of reservation. There couldn't be one little idea that, well, you know, um, maybe this or maybe that idea will work. I had to completely surrender, completely know that I did not have it within me. And that was a spiritual answer. 
I needed to be connected um, with people who were successful in working this program. And, um, and with that, my ego was deflated, and I was willing at that point to do whatever they told me to do. And um, like the last sentence, the moment I made up my mind to go through with the process, in other words, to, to say I didn't know a thing about getting abstinence, I don't know a thing about um, working this program, um, I did have this curious feeling, which for me was hope. There was a hope, a shimmer and a glimmer of light that, well, maybe this, this could happen for me too, um, and that my alcoholic condition or compulsive overeating condition could be relieved. And um, by the grace of God, it has proven to be for me one day at a time, one 24 hours at a time, realizing that, that I need to rely on a power greater than me, that there is a spiritual answer, that I'm beyond human aid. There's no human um, answer to this. There's a spiritual answer. And it does require a program of action. Um, but people are there who have recovered ahead of me and gone before me like these first 100 that are willing to share that program with me because they followed it successfully. Am I willing? Am I willing to surrender and follow where they have gone? That's the question I ask each day. Am I willing to do this and follow where others have gone? And thank you for allowing me to share. I pass. Thank you, Michelle. Who else would like to comment on what was read? Judy P. from Massachusetts. Judy, go ahead, please. Good morning. Good morning, recovered compulsive overeater. Then they outlined the spiritual answer and program of action, which a hundred of them had followed successfully. And, and that is what we must do. There is a spiritual answer and there is a program of action. Uh, there is a solution to this problem. And it, it is not easy, but it, it works. And on page 25, they describe what the solution is. You know, that we, we, have, we don't like this self-searching and leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings, which the process requires for its successful cons- consummation. But it works, and that's, that's the part that I just, I just want to uh, talk about for a moment, because it's just... That there is this simple spiritual kit which which they're telling us about, and if we just uh, find someone to help us through that and work through the steps, this solution is there, and it's it's just it's so beautiful to watch people go from being in the depths of despair to to coming to the point where where this obsession is lifted and we have a new life and we're then able to help others. It's just, it's such a beautiful program and the answers are right here in our big book and and we're reading about them and we don't have to look anywhere else. We don't have to try this program and that program and this method and that method. This works and if, if we're willing to just surrender to it you know, our lives can be different. And I am so grateful for that. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Judy. This is Victoria, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. I'd like to share on this paragraph. There's so much here that is just of a 
critical nature to my recovery. Uh, it's jam-packed, but I'd like to comment um, on one critical element, which is those several lifelong conceptions that I would have to throw out the window in order to work this program of action. And there, for me, there were two which were absolutely vital and very hard to let go of. The first was that I would never again in this life be a normal eater. That was gone. No chance of it coming back. 10 years of abstinence, 20 years of abstinence, 50 years of abstinence, I would never be a normal eater. But for me, the even more difficult conception to throw out the window or actually was that this disease was no big deal. It was no big deal. In its place, I needed to put a conception that would, on which my, my abstinence and my recovery would rest, which is this disease is a life and death disease. This disease is life and death. In the morning, at lunchtime, every minute it's a life and death disease. And this conception is still tested many times a day when I have an opportunity to take the easier, softer way or in order to maintain my abstinence, I need to confront great inconvenience or even awkwardness um, or even have to go to great lengths, um, sometimes disruption of what I think my schedule is going to be in order to put my food sobriety first. It means that I don't get to indulge my anger. I don't get to indulge my self-pity. I don't get to live by self-will run riot or that insanity will return. And the only way I'm able to live in that way is through a higher power because I've learned through this big book that without a higher power, I cannot trust my own reality, the reality produced by this mind, which creates strange mental blank spots, which produces a total loss of actual reality. That's the mind I've got. And in order for that mind for today, for this 24 hours, to be set aside, my reliance needs to be on the answer, the spiritual answer that this paragraph talks about. And in order for me to live that answer and to put it first in my life above everything, I have to remember this is a life and death disease. If I were a diabetic and I were insulin dependent, I wouldn't say, well, let me wait three hours. It's not really convenient right now. I'm in the middle of a meeting to take care of what I need to take care of if it's lunchtime and I haven't eaten. Um, if I am on the way with my partner to a conflict which is entirely avoidable, if I'm willing to set aside my self-will, at that time am I 
willing to remember this is a life or death disease and this spiritual solution is my only way out of it. With that, I'll pass. Would someone else like to share on what was read? This is Paula. May I share? Hi, this is Helen. Yes. Um, Helen, then Paula, please. Um, hi. Um, I'm a grateful compulsive overeater today, this moment. I'm, uh, I don't know. I'm truly blessed that I found this telephone group. It was passed on to me by uh, one, of the, um, one of the members here at my local meetings one of my local meetings, and I'm very grateful to her for that. I wanted to talk about um, something that was read. Um, I have the big book here, but I've lost where we are. But it it brought home something to me that I was at that point where um, I was right on the brink of staying in a bad situation, and people were smiling at me to get me to stay in that situation, to stay in my food just to keep me in that hell because they needed me there. And um, But my higher power pulled me out. You know, it's almost like my higher power pulled me out, you know, of, uh, out of hell and brought me to heaven. And that's where I am now. And I'm not, I'm not ever going to go back to hell. I don't, need, need, I don't mean to use that analogy to be extreme, but I think what we're all talking about here, it is extreme. It's death for me. I finally get that. Um, so I'm very thankful for the big book. I'm very thankful for Bill W. I'm even thankful that I'm here. And sometimes I'm even thankful that I have my compulsive overeating disease because it brought me back to God. You know, if I didn't have it, I probably wouldn't, I probably wouldn't be in the space that I'm in. And for that, I'm grateful. I mean, I'm not grateful that I have this disease, but I'm grateful that it brought me back to God because it has brought me back to God. And I'm very grateful that, you know, he's, he's saved me. I mean, I can see it. I can, it's solid. It's concrete. And I think that's probably what we're doing here. We're all providing concrete evidence that this is real, that, that it does work. And that's what we're doing here. And that's what the fellowship is all about. And, you know, that's all I have to say. And I'm very thankful for all of you being here and have... You know, just have an abstinence day. Thank you. Thank you, Helen. Paula, we have time for a very brief share before we need to end the meeting. Go ahead, please. Well, brief I will be, my friend. And I just wanted to look at that line. It meant I would have to throw several lifelong conceptions out the window, not under the bed, not on the shelf, not in the closet. They had to be thrown out the window, and that was not easy. But the moment I made up my mind to go through the process, there his decision, I had the curious feeling that my alcoholic condition was relieved. And relieved means to be free from pain, distress, and burden. And in fact, it proved to be. And I will end with that, and I thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Carla. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Carol, would you please read a vision for you? Yes. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. 
God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourselves to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.